The following is a hoop ball presentation. Ever since I started this podcast, people have been asking me for my betting tips. I always get asked, who you got, Lakers or Clippers, Brady or Mahomes? And I'll tell you what I tell them. Where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. That's why I tell people to bet with my bookie. My bookie's rep is rock solid. They've got the best odds, contests, and promotions in the business. They're the only place I trust to handle my NBA-related bets. The one sportsbook guaranteed to give me the best line for playoff basketball, Thursday nights, Friday nights, and everything in between. And you know me, I don't give my stamp of approval easily. To earn it, you've got to be the best at what you do. And my bookie is the best sports book out there, period. It's simple. Sign up in a promo code HoopBall and get your deposit matched with halfway up to a thousand bucks. Head over to my bookie if you want to add a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best, bet with my bookie. Again, my name is Lawrence Brooks. We are with the HoopBall Mavericks podcast. We are back after a nice long layoff, playoff disappointment. Very proud of the team, but. Today, I come with reinforcements. A guy that we've had <laughs> here before, a guy that's very much tapped into the Dallas Mavericks, um, guy who writes for Mavs Moneyball, is a great Twitter follower. Hopefully, you guys are all out there following him. Um, how are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, thanks for having me back on. It's good to talk to you. It's been a while. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We've had a long season. The Mavs were in 14th place at one point, got all the way back up to fifth. Um for me, it was an overall good season. Um, obviously, thing there's of course there's things that could have been done better, but for all things considered, I think the Mavericks had a pretty good year. What's your viewpoint on it? Uh, it's interesting because it was a it was such a weird year. Um, I think the expectations were properly high after the season before last. You know, taking the Clippers to, to six games when you had Kristaps being out for for you know the last half of the games they didn't have Dwight Powell they didn't have Jalen Brunson and 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 Luca looked great and you just think okay come back get Kristaps healthy uh, I thought the Josh Richardson move was really smart uh, they had three draft picks in the top 36 I liked James Johnson like it it, it felt like a really a really solid, somewhat solid off season and and coming off the season before it, I think the expectation level was properly high and then you know the season happened and for a lot of things that were outside their control with uh, covid and covid protocols and the season starting earlier than maybe the the team expected so luca looked a little rough to start the season uh it took Kristaps a long time to look like himself and you could argue if he ever really got back to that point coming back from that meniscus surgery but despite all of that i mean they still went on that hell of a run to end the season uh, they were one of the better teams in the NBA uh, after February 1st or, or something like, you know, something around that time range. And and I think people were feeling pretty good. And you get those two those two games against the, those first two games against the Clippers. And you're thinking, man, this is this is something like this. This Mavs team has really turned the corner. And then after that game, too, it was just like the light switch came on or came flipped off. And it, it just kind of was a disaster there. Those last uh you know five games so it's really weird like i i think it's commendable for the fact that they were able to climb to the fifth seed after 
with the circumstances that they were dealt. But on the other end of the spectrum, I, I don't think anyone can disagree that the the end dis, the end result with uh, the game seven loss to the Clippers is is pretty disappointing. Absolutely, I um I, I definitely felt that way too. I tried to just lean on the positive because overall, for me, I I knew that that you know there was every reason for them to basically not even make the playoffs like that. Mm-hmm. This could have folded. You know, they didn't get as much as they probably wanted out of a guy like Josh Richardson. James Johnson got moved. Um, like you said, Porzingis never really looked like him, his complete self. And so for them to battle through all of that and then push to a game seven that was very winnable. Um, I, you know, I, I just had to as much as I, I mean, obviously we want more. Luca's great. And it was there for the taking. But like you said, it just ended on such a flat note after those guys being one of the hotter teams in the NBA, being a top eight team, almost from the all-star break through the, through the rest of the season. Um, it was, it was definitely disappointing, but, but nonetheless, I, I think I just, I just really leaned on the fact that I just liked the fight they gave throughout the year. Although I, as a fan, you know, we always want more. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. You kind of hit the nail on the head talking about like what they had to go through and, and, and the fact that they got there. And I think, with Luca, it's really tough to balance the expectations and, and reality. And you know, you wanna you wanna pat them on the back for for being able to to get to where they were. When you're absolutely right, they could have they could have not made the playoffs at all, or they could have been in the play-in tournament. Like you know, they they had every excuse in front of them to kind of pack up uh, that season and not finish it strong as they did, but they didn't. Uh, and then there's just the frustration. You know, on the flip side of that is you look at where the Clippers are right now and you look at kind of how wide open the NBA is right now. Now that, you know, the the Warriors dynasty is over and, you know, LeBron is finally starting to look a little mortal and, you know, the, you know, the Nets uh, have a ton of injury concerns and you just look across the league and there's just no, no superpower like there has been for most of, of the last 10 years. And you think, man, you know, they were close. Like if they just could have made the improvements they needed to make in the last two off seasons, it, it, that's where the frustration creeps back in is you realize, man, it really, they really didn't need that much more to get them over the hump, this playoffs. And they really could have made a deep run if they just had like one or two more guys, uh, step up for them. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, you, you want to commend them for, for what they did considering the circumstances, but then on the other end, you're like, man, it, what, what could this season have been if some, some decisions had gone you know, their way uh, in the last two years? Yes, yes, totally agree. And, and speaking of that, I mean, I don't know how many of you all are following Josh's work, but he does incredible work for Mavs Moneyball, like I said. And and one of the things that you've pointed out in, in a few of your articles or, or, or a topic that has been discussed is just, you know, you have been critical of their offseason moves in terms of the aggressiveness to get better, missing out on certain players, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so for me, talking about the ideal offseason for those guys. So obviously, you know, with Giannis is not on the board anymore, which would have been great if, you know, if the Mavs could have threw their their um, their feather in that hat for the sweepstakes to get him, so to speak. Um, but then you look at the other guys that are out there. I'm not sure if some of the other names are as exciting. You got a Chris Paul who might be available. Um, obviously, I would say for me, you would want to re-sign Tim Hardaway Jr. because it's like, 
what else do you do if you if you don't sign him do you take a step back but with a guy like luca you're forced to be aggressive in at all levels of the season whether that's the ha- the all-star break off season when guys become available you hear about disgruntled guys around the league i feel like it would it would actually be um it would be a disservice to him if you're not trying to maximize winning at all costs you know responsibly you obviously you don't want to get into um crazy um cap issues but at the same time you want to stay diligent in trying to find upper tier talent because this team is ready to win right now if with the way Luca's playing for you what are some of the ideal scenarios for them this offseason in terms of trying to accumulate talent obviously with no draft picks that's probably not going to happen but with the free agency what would you like to see done um <laughs> in terms of specific players i'm very bad at predicting predicting that but i think in terms of just like a general strategic standpoint i just want them to maximize their assets and the one that they just seemingly don't is their cap space because you know if you've been following the mavericks it's not a secret you know they just their plan since 2011 is basically you know we will we will swing we will sign a max level max contract level free agent but if we can't get that guy you know we're not going to spend 15 to 20 million on a role player when we feel like we can spend eight seven to ten range on a guy that can maybe is not as good but can offer up some comparable production and and much like you know the moneyball oakland a's and and what a lot of a lot of baseball teams did during that era in terms of how they can find you know useful players on the margins without having to to have a big payroll and it's worked a little bit, you know, the Mavericks haven't been, you know, totally disastrous in the last 10 years, but they also haven't won a playoff series either. So there's just a limit to how far that strategy can go in the NBA. Cause as we're seeing every playoff run, you know, just talent just matters. And I know if people have been following me on Twitter, probably want to stop hearing about comparing the Mavericks to the Atlanta Hawks, but you watch this Hawks team, which drafted Trey Young the same year the Mavericks drafted Luka, and you see them in the Easter Conference Finals, and you see them have productive rotation players that they spent big money on last offseason. You know, Danilo Gallinari. They traded for Clint Capella, on, on, who had a had a pretty sizable contract. The Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, signing, they, they spent big money on him, and all three of those guys have had their moments. In addition to, you know, they've also taken the draft pretty seriously. Like, uh, John Collins was the 19th overall pick. Uh, in his draft class and you think about where the Mavericks have done with picks in that similar range and they it's not even close in terms of getting a player as productive as him in that range and and that's been a big issue but like you said no draft picks this year so can't really think about that so I think it's more just I want them to just it, it feels so stupid to say this I just want them to sign guys like I just want them to spend some money because Luca's Supermax extension kicks in not this season, but the season after that. And unless they're able to trade Kristaps Porzingis, which is going to be really difficult for a variety of reasons, you know, with the, when those when Lucas Supermax and Kristaps Max are both uh, on the payroll at the same time, things are going to 
be way more inflexible than they are right now. And so I just want to see them be aggressive. I don't want to see them stand pat. I don't want to see them try to run back the same thing. But I also don't want to see them their moves be these kind of marginal, smaller, like DeLon Wright, Josh Richardson, James Johnson type moves. I really feel like this team is a starter or two away from being a legitimate finals contender, but they have to go get them. They can't just keep getting these quasi starter, you know, bench guys that they hope can be better than they are. So, you know, this free agency class is, is pretty interesting. And I know Mavs fans have tossed around some names like DeMar DeRozan and, you know, John Collins, Lonzo Ball uh, on the restricted free agency side, you know, Kyle Lowry. Uh, if you want to get into the specific names, we can. But I think uh, in terms of just like a general strategy standpoint, I want them to aggressively go after starter level talents. And I think obviously the biggest need uh, from a basketball standpoint is just another all-star level type talent or player that can support Luka Doncic on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, maybe the defensive side as well, but just someone that can, can make plays uh, and doesn't need Luka to set them up. Yeah. And, and I've been very vocal about that this season too. They need secondary playmakers, other guys that, and, and Porzingis, he's a finisher. So yep. Obviously, he's in a different space in terms of need. And and so they have a guy like that who I think another – and I know Mavs Twitter is really big on saying get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of him. And I know at some point everyone has said get rid of him. But if you're stuck with him, you might as well maximize his abilities. Now, there's some things on his end he can do. He has to spend his summers developing more than rehabbing. And I think that's some of what has been his issue but in terms of guys that are on the market, for me, I would love to see them sign a, a DeMar DeRozan type of guy who actually offsets a lot of their three-point shooting with his mid-range ability. He's another guy who can make plays with the basketball. Um, he's proven that with the San Antonio Spurs. What are your thoughts on, on – let's say they get a guy like him and they re-sign Tim Hardaway Jr. Do you consider that a win this offseason? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, I have some qualms with DeRozan, but as I've said, like the Mavericks are at such a talent deficit compared to other, not compared to like the rest of the league, but just in terms of like their play, like the teams are competing with in the playoffs Mm -hmm. that I, it's hard to like, it's hard to say no to anyone right now. You know, like any suggestion when you just look at the Mavericks roster and you consider how many undrafted free agents and second round picks and, and guys they've pulled off the scrap heap that they, that they need to play crucial roles. It's like, okay, DeMar DeRozan doesn't look as looks, you know, his, his faults don't look so as bad anymore because they just need some talent. Um, so I don't think I could, uh, if the push came to shove, you know, I don't think I could say no. And especially with how bad the Mavericks have been at getting guys to take their money, uh, especially so. But with DeRozan, I would, I think he looks fantastic on paper in terms of checking every box that you want from like a, a Luka Doncic sidekick, you know, except for the defense, you know, just offensively, like, hey, this is a, a big guard, a six 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 seven, experienced veteran, uh, scoring wing who has been consistently good as a playmaker, you know setting guys up, you know, used to handling the offensive load and putting up staggeringly efficient numbers while doing so, despite the fact that, you know, like you said, he can't shoot threes, but he still manages, you know, he had, he had a true shooting percentage a season ago uh, over 60 without shooting three, without really making any threes. And that's just so 
that just goes to show you how good he is everywhere else offensively and having a guy that's not just a, you know, he's not just a put his head down and, and try to get to the rim and, and score. Like he's over the last, you know, four to five years, I think his game has really expanded in terms of being able to set up other guys. So you look at that and you're like, man, that's exact. you know, boy, if the Mavericks had that guy to carry the offense, so Luca doesn't have to play 40 minutes and he can run bench units and he can play next to Luca. So Luca, isn't handling the ball every single possession. It makes sense. Um, my only, like, I would just offer, like, as a devil's advocate, because um, I've done some research into him in the last couple of days, like, DeRozan's on-off advanced numbers are not great. And the last, like, six to seven years, every team he's played on has played better when he's off the floor. And some of that can be credited to he played on some Raptors teams that had some, like, abnormally great bench bench players. Uh, but you know, some of it also is his lack of shooting in this, in this age where spacing is so critical and he's just a horrific defender. He's never been a good defensive player. You know, those Toronto teams succeeded on the defensive end in spite of him because they had so many great defenders surrounding him that could kind of fill the gaps. Uh, the Mavericks don't really have that. Uh, they don't have the stable of defensive players that those Raptors teams had. Uh, you know, so he would definitely hurt the Mavericks already poor defense, but also like, you know, at a certain point, the Mavericks aren't really stopping anyone anyway. So just trying to outscore teams sounds kind of fun too, but, but those would be just my two, you know, trepidations about DeRozan. And also I think there's kind of, I know I'm kind of going on too long here, but I just wanted to say, oh, you're good. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's, I think there's a, when people look at DeRozan, they look at his numbers. I think there's a, I think people just kind of want to look at the numbers and take him and plop him into the Mavericks rotation and be like, okay, now we're going to get those. The Mavericks are now going to get those 22 points, you know, seven assists uh, on really good shooting uh, and just kind of, you know, pencil that in into the projections. And and maybe you, you, you lower him a little bit because he's going to have less field goal attempts and less touches. But we, the thing you have to consider with DeRozan is since he is not a good shooter, you know, he has always ha- been a guy that has the ball in his hands. He, ha- I think his career usage rate is like 27%, which is, you know, Luca is, is, is in the low 30s. So you would imagine that's not going to be that high when you have, when you're playing with a guy like Luca who's going to demand the ball a lot, even if you have someone to try to help him. And so what does DeRozan look like as a support player who isn't the fulcrum of the offense? And he really, you know, in Toronto, I know they had Kyle Lowry, but he was still like their their main scorer. So what does he look like in that secondary role? And can, like, are the Mavericks still going to come out positive? Is, is DeRozan still going to come out positive when you take possessions away from Luka, give them to him? Or on the other end of it, you take away possessions from him and give him to Luca. Like, what does DeRozan look like as a lower usage player? And is his effectiveness still there? Because we've seen from guys that are used to having the ball in their hands when they change situations and they don't they don't have that anymore, it really can maybe lower their effectiveness. So you can't just assume that DeRozan with, with less usage is still going to be as productive and as good because maybe he needs the ball a lot to get into rhythm and, and get into a flow. So you have to consider all of that before you know he you bring him onto the team. But man, like like you said, at the end of the day, like they just need talent. And if they can add a guy that's a twenty plus point per game scorer and, and can shoot close to fifty percent from the field, 
even with the the faults I, I laid or potential faults, like that's hard. That's hard to say no to considering where the Mavericks are. Yeah, and and to your point, that actually brings me to a point to something I was thinking about, and it's and it's kind of the same with LeBron James. So the fact that Luca is such an elite playmaker and facilitator, much like LeBron James in terms of how he runs his offense in a half court setting. A lot of times they have been very specific about the guys they put alongside LeBron. Now, I know that's the case for mostly all superstars, but for these two guys in particular, they seem to thrive better with guys who are who have maybe a lower usage rate but are or are more accustomed to being shooters. But I think the Mavs would be better if they had someone else who could who could handle the basketball and make plays. So yeah, I agree that you can't just, you know, plop a guy into a lineup and say here and and it just translates no matter what. So with that in mind, is there anyone for you that you would like to see specifically, although you have trepidations about De- DeRozan, if it were if it were up to you, who would you like to see those see the Mavs get this offseason? Maybe two names. Yeah, uh, I would say the two that I think are are most available because they're unrestricted. Like I would love Lonzo Ball, I would love John Collins, but those guys being restricted, and the Hawks going on this crazy run with Collins playing so well, like I feel like that's that's gone. Like he feels you feel like the Hawks are going to bring him back no matter what. Um, so outside of those two guys who who would be really difficult, you know, unrestricted, I really like Cal Lowry, and I'm starting to warm up to Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, Lowry, I think, you know, doesn't need as much. I don't think you have to convince Mavs fans as much, you know, outside of his age. Uh, otherwise he feels kind of like a perfect fit. You know, he's already used, he's a, he's a, he's a veteran floor leader point guard who is already used to sharing the spotlight, whether that was with the Rosen in terms of usage or even Kawhi Leonard, you know, Lowry is not a guy that is going to be like, if I don't have my touches, I'm not going to be effective. You know, he's a quality defender, good spot up three point shooter, uh, and, but also someone who can get you buckets when Luca's on the bench. And, and, you know, the difference between him and DeRozan is while Lowry's a smaller player, you know, I think you have more confidence in, in Lowry as a defender and then as an off ball shooter. So he would, he would be amazing, I think, for, for Luca. And also, just I know his age. It doesn't necessarily match the Luca timeline, but maybe having someone with with that uh, presence in the locker room could help a Mavericks team that I think feels maybe potentially a little lost there as Luca is still maturing and, and aging. So, so I love Lowry's fit in Dallas, but unfortunately, I'm sure a lot of other teams love love Lowry's fit. So he'll be he'll be a hot commodity. And then didn't we? I wasn't like super in on him before, but I've had some of our Mavs Moneyball staffers kind of look into him more, look at the numbers. Uh, and he, you know, he, his three point shooting it, it is tough to evaluate. Cause on, on the surface, it looks pretty bad. It looks pretty poor, but he takes a lot of bad off the dribble threes in his career. And I think one of our staffers, uh, Xavier, he looked up his catch and shoot three point numbers, uh, in his last full healthy season. And he shot 40% on about one and a half to two, catch and shoot three point shots a game. So you think, man, you know, if if they can if they can get him taking more of those catch and shoot threes next to Luca and then still allow him to have that creativity on the ball with, you know, really good size, that that's another intriguing option. And then of course with him, you know, 
the the thing that you have to watch out for though is of course he's coming off a major knee surgery and you know do you want to dump a bunch of your money into Kristaps and Dinwiddie you know two guys that have had major knee injuries so that so that's the concern uh, so those are two guys for sure I'm looking at and then like bonus I know you only asked for two but like my pet my personal pet favorite bonus guy would be Norman Powell uh, although I don't know if the Trailblazers would trade for him and then let him go. That would seem kind of silly, but I really love uh, Norman Powell's game uh, as like an off guard to play next to Luca. Yeah, I I really like Norman Powell too. I think he's like one of the best fits, Mm -hmm. and he gives them much needed athleticism. They just they just need to be more athletic. Totally um, agree. They need more playmaking for this team to really be. Um, more dynamic, and and for me, I really like the Josh Lowry, um, Josh Lowry, the um, <laughs> the uh, Kyle Lowry signing. One because I I look at I, I looked into you know what these off seasons will look like, and so if you look forward, the 2024 free agency class, it'll put the Mavericks in a great spot because you have like four guys who are like 25 and younger. You have Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, Jalen Brown, and uh, Demontis Sabonis, who were all potentially be available depending on what happens these next couple of years as we know things drastically change but the one great thing for dallas is although we anticipate uh luca to sign his uh max this offseason he would be the only one on the books going into that offseason so they would have plenty of money to to really make a move at getting some of these guys but again when you have a guy like luca you you're really at the mercy of trying to win now because these guys are all of these stars are very much in win-now mode for a variety of reasons. And so you don't want to throw away any season at all. But signing a guy like Kyle Lowry on a, maybe a two-year deal sets you up considering his age. Then he's off the books by the time you get to that offseason. And um, and you're really able to, to push forward. But I know with the way things have gone and with you owing, you know, over $100 million over the next three years to um, Porzingis, they can't really do anything major. But John Collins would be great. I'm with you on Lonzo, uh, I mean, Alonzo Ball and Kyle Lowry would, would definitely be great along with Norman Powell. But it seems like me and you are both in the same boat. Just get some more talent. Like, yes, man. <laughs> yeah, we have our thoughts and our, our desires, but ultimately just upgrade the roster at all costs. So, so hopefully they do some of that. Um, so we, so moving along. So we know there's been a ton of chatter about Jason Kidd's hire and the fact that he's there. And for me, so there's a there's a ton of questions, but I'll try to be I'll try to be direct. For for me, I think this Jason Kidd hire and I don't know this to be true, but I think this was more about making sure they got Nico Harrison than Jason Kidd. What are your thoughts on this hire and how this all came about? Because there's been a ton of of chatter about this hire in terms of we know he's not the greatest of coaches, especially with his background. And that's and we're just talking about encore performance. We haven't even dove into his, you know, his his past um, transgressions with sexual assault and things like that. So where you are with this hire, just from a, we'll start with the basketball standpoint, because I think this was more about Nico than it was about Jason. And I don't know anything. This is just me looking from afar because I see, you know, they got Leon Rose over with the Knicks. 
Rob Palenka with the Lakers and with Clutch Sports being such a big, big machine, it just seems like the league is going very, very relationship-based. And now front offices are trying to get more relationship-based and then hire guys underneath them that can do some of the dirty work. But bringing guys in that can attract some of these stars that are out there that may not know where they want to go. So relationships really matter, and Nico has a ton of them. How do you feel about the hire with Jason Kidd? Man, you could, do, you could almost do a whole podcast just on that, that question. Um, I guess I'll start with like the basketball first. I think that's what you mentioned, like the basketball side of it. Uh, I think your speculation about Kid and, and Nico being a package deal, I think that's like a really good theory, uh, especially when you consider the reporting that came out that said like Nico was a hot, like somewhat hot commodity amongst NBA teams and the Mavericks were not the first team to to try to sign him even you know they were the first ones to sign him obviously but there was reporting that other teams had pursued him in the past and when you think about like there's no there's no cap space for for front office executives so like the Mavericks aren't the only NBA team that can offer him a lot of money uh so you have to imagine okay well if it wasn't that like why the Mavericks why didn't he not jump on with another team and you know of course you know luca you know the city is, is a fairly big market like maybe there's some of some of those reasons you know we're being able to work maybe being able to work with mark cuban and and that the that spotlight maybe that was attractive but also like you can't you know you look at jason kidd and they there's been reporting that they have a close relationship so i don't think it's a stretch to say that like to get nico you might have had to to hire jason kidd or maybe you know, uh, maybe it was the other way around. Maybe you wanted Jason Kidd, and Jason Kidd said, "Hey, this guy, I'm close with this guy. Bring him in as general managers. You know, uh, that's for me to coach." Like, maybe that happened. Again, I'm with you. I'm just speculating, but I, I, I think that's a very good theory considering the reporting we've had out there. Um, but then going to the basketball side of it, it's just, you know, I think a lot of a lot of people have been giving me some grief about you know, how negative I've been about this just from a basketball standpoint. We're not even talking about the off the court stuff because, you know, there's a lot of, well, you know, he could be, he could be this, he could be that. And I think the thing I want to make the point is, is I don't think that Jason Kidd is a lost cause as an NBA head coach. Like there's definitely a reality or a path for him to becoming a good NBA coach. Cause he really hasn't been doing it that long. So, it's not like he's been around for 10 years and he's been a, a flame out the every head coaching opportunity. Like he's, he's only been a head coach for like four to, you know, four or five years. Uh, and then an assistant coach after that with the Lakers the last couple of years. So there's still room for him to learn and grow as a head coach. Uh, the thing that I just want to emphasize is that if Jason Kidd is a good coach, it is in spite of his coaching record, not because of it, because his record is bad. He's a, career sub 500 coach he rubs people the wrong way in terms of working with staff uh, i know that there's been some players vouching for him publicly like damian lillard did lebron james has um but in terms of like working with guys you know whether it's front office or assistant coaches support coaches trainers like everything i've heard about him in brooklyn and milwaukee is that he was just a nightmare to work with behind the scenes and whether it was like trying to do the power play in brooklyn or just you know rubbing people the wrong way behind the scenes in milwaukee you know it just 
good news has not followed him where he's been a head coach. Um, so it's tough to look at like, and with all that baggage, you're like, well, if he gets results, then you kind of put up with it. Like, I'm sure, you know, Bill Belichick is not a friendly person to be around. And we've already, we've heard all the stories about Rick Carlisle being a grumpy, uh, a grumpy person since he's left the Mavs, but you put up with that because, well, they get results Well, with kid. He didn't get the results. Like the most you can maybe say is he helped develop Giannis a bit and open up his game when he moved him to, to point guard full time. And kind of opened up his game a little bit, uh, but otherwise, you know, those Milwaukee teams flamed out and, and didn't do much, uh, considering that you know the, the rosters weren't great. But he wasn't elevating it. Uh, his scheme was weird. They play slow uh, defensively. You know, the last time he was a head coach, the Bucks defense was basically like we're going to trap and blitz, pick and rolls, and we're going to play really aggressive. And it worked great that first season. But once teams had tape on it, they kind of picked it apart because like. You can't just double team double team guys forty eight minutes a game all game in the NBA like guys are like basketball NBA players are too good to, at that so he kind of stubbornly stuck to that and the Bucks had a below average defense his last I think three years in Milwaukee and when you have Giannis on your team in his prime it's like that shouldn't happen like you shouldn't be a below average defense so schematically I just don't know what he brings to the table um, but. The hope is, I think the only way you can look at this from a basketball perspective for hope is he's been away from a head coach. He's been an assistant with the Lakers, and you just hope that he's learned. And and that's it. Like, I don't know if you, anyone trying to take anything from his time in Brooklyn and Milwaukee and say, here's a reason why this guy will be a good head coach. Like, that's just like rewriting history. Like, I just don't see that. The only way I could see it being successful is you just – hope that he's learned and grown a lot as a person and as a coach in his time with the Lakers being an assistant. And from all accounts, we've uh, myself and my fellow, you know, managing editor over at Mads Moneyball, Kirk Henderson, like we've talked to the Lakers people that, uh, and they say like kid was good there. Like in terms of like being a good presence for the basketball team, like he didn't try to start as much uh, stuff as he did in Brooklyn and Milwaukee in terms of like behind the scenes, power grabs so there's there's some hope there that he's learned but man the track record just track record just isn't there so you're just you're just hoping he he's better instead of like looking at prior results and being like oh okay here's here's why he will be a good coach yeah totally agree and and my thing is is you look at you know you when i see hires or for me i'm just very visual in the sense of like okay in this in in the process of hiring a coach and you go through the interview process and you're sitting down with ownership and whoever else is part of the decision-making process, what could he have said or shown that would make him so attractive? Because again, on top of that, Jason Kidd is just always a name that's in coaching circles. When there's a, when, when there's an opening, it's like there's whoever that the main guys are and Jason Kidd's name always pops up. And I just, don't get I, I understand he's a hall of famer and he has he has a lot of credibility around the league as a, as a player for a guy who's done a ton in his career but i don't it, it i'm baffled as to how this could have been an attractive hire or an attract or he, he could have sold them on anything that they couldn't have gotten from someone else which were other candidates and i know this is a what have you done for me lately league and he just hasn't, I mean, obviously he won a championship with the Lakers, but he wasn't the head coach over there. 
But I, I guess, with like you said, maybe he's learned from his mistakes. One can only hope that he's grown from his mistakes and and tried to and is trying to be better. And I'm sure he sold them on some of that in his interview process. He would have had to. I mean, that would just be irresponsible for the Mavericks, you know, front office to not even bring those things up. So, you know, that, that's kind of where I'm at with it, too. Hopefully that he's learned from these things, but schematically slow to make adjustments, kind of had an outdated system. It worked well his first year, but then everyone caught up to him and he just was never the same again. And then ultimately you just hope he doesn't get in, in Luca's way because Luca doesn't need him to come in and try to make him some something bit bigger and better. Luca's already a top five player in the league, if you ask me. At this point, it's just about maximizing the opportunities and the abilities of everyone around him while also getting him to continue to grow as a player more so than as a talent. Um, the off-court stuff. So, so it's a little tricky. So obviously we know about the sexual assault case, and, and that was from a while ago. And I don't want to say a while ago as if that does not matter. But for you, how does that play into the hiring process? Because you, one would think that it has been resolved to some degree. We don't know to what degree it has been resolved. But does he not deserve a second chance at coaching, although he has prior situations that have, um, that have followed him? Is this something that you think... Even if he doesn't get hired by the Mavericks, let, let's say he doesn't get hired for another six or seven years, should this still be something that holds him from getting a head coaching job? Because I understand with the Mavericks situation that they just had recently with um, having work, workplace issues with sexual assault and Mark Cuban even, you know, being in tears talking about how he could have handled these things better. And then he goes and hires a guy like Jason Kidd. Um, what are your thoughts on them hiring him despite some of his previous transgressions? Yeah, I think it's considering the history of the organization. It's just, I mean, it's just bad. I just, I feel for any women that worked for the Mavericks during the the really awful uh, time period before they cleaned things up that maybe either had to endure abuse or harassment uh, and then either had to leave the industry entirely, quit their jobs, you know, all that stuff. And then having to see this, I'm sure three you know three years later and not only three years later but like they just fired another person from that sports illustrated reporting like in 20 in the last couple of months uh tony ronzone in their drafting department after sports illustrated ran another story about him and then the mavericks vehemently denied it and then a year later they just quietly terminated him uh so like the 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 fallout it's not like it ended in 20 like there's still ramifications from that story that are still being felt uh within and and near the organization so uh that that's really troubling to me um and what more is just like he's not this isn't an allegation like he pleaded guilty uh, and he pleaded guilty and he never served jail time and he had a very successful career. Like I know there's a lot of people that want to talk about, well, he, you know, do you believe in redemption and stuff? And I'm like, sure, but he, what is there to redeem for him? He's never been impacted by this. Like he, I mean, he got, you know, obviously it, it caused a lot of trouble in his playing days uh, and he had to address it then, but he still had a hall of fame career. He still made as much money 
Um, I would assume he made almost as much money as he would have without it. Maybe some endorsements hurt him around that time period. But in terms of his playing contracts, he still was a Hall of Fame point guard who won a title, who who got paid big bucks, who immediately switched to head coaching jobs. Like he's uh, there's nothing to redeem, so to speak, because he's already had, you know, he's nothing's really faced him in his life, you know, in terms of professionally, you know, personally, you know, I can't, I can't talk about that because we don't know. So in terms, so that just feels, it just feels weird to me and I just don't like it. And I think in terms of like, could he get hired by another coach? And is that okay? I don't know the answer to that question. I just know that as someone who covers the team in a professional standpoint, uh, but is also still like I'm still a fan of the team, uh, and then if I wasn't a, as much of a fan of the team, I probably wouldn't spend as much time as I do, prof- you know, semi-professionally covering them. Like I just don't like it, and that's my personal opinion. And I just feel like NBA coaches are not a difficult position to fill. That you have to be stuck with a guy that has domestic abuse, pleaded guilty on his record. Uh, that's not saying that he can never be a good person ever again, or he can't work or he can't do anything, whatever. Like besides all that, Jason Kidd's going to be fine. Like he's going to have a life way better than mine in terms of wealth and, and, and comfort. Uh, so I'm not really concerned about that part. Um, it's just like, Hey, personally, I just don't want a guy like that around my basketball team. Uh, and that's just kind of how I feel about it. I don't like how it looks. And, I know people are going to disagree, and that's that's okay. But uh, that's just kind of how I feel about it, especially when you consider the Mavericks organization. I think that's another step to it. And then to me, it's just like you can find another coach that that didn't do this. Like uh, Sam Cassell has been an assistant for a long time. He hasn't really gotten a chance. You know, Mosley with the Mavericks has been an assistant for a long time. Like, there's plenty of other candidates that the Mavericks could have looked through before they landed on a guy that just has this really awful mark on his personal record. And then you add in the Mavericks own history and it's just, it's just a bad combination. It makes me feel gross. makes me feel sorry for the, for the women that were impacted by the Mavericks scandal uh, and how they feel seeing this. Like I'm sure that there's a lot of eye roll, maybe there's eye rolling or who, who knows how they feel, but it just, it's just kind of gross and it didn't have to be gross. And I don't know, I'm kind of rambling now, but that's just kind of how I, how I feel about it. And it's a very obviously difficult subject and there's, I don't know what the right answer is. It's just kind of, I can't change how I feel. And that's kind of uh, with this specifically this, like this is to me, this is not a got to hear both sides kind of talk uh, when it comes to someone who is pleaded guilty to, to beating his wife. So uh, that's just difficult conversation for me, but I think it needs to be had, but he's still going to be the coach. So at a certain point, I mean, the Mavericks are going to rely on this just kind of going away and, and things will go about their business. Cause that's just kind of how, unfortunately how things go, but yeah, that's just, I guess that's about, that's about how I feel. If, if that's a good enough answer for you. Oh, that, that's perfect. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, I agree. I especially, and I think you, you really nailed it when you first opened up talking about what the Mavericks just recently went through with all the, um, sexual assault stuff they had going on within the workplace. It's it's like of all hires, you can't make this hire, considering your history, recent history, yeah. that you went through. It's like you have to prove a point, if even if you have to go out of your way not to hire. Like if that if that meant like I was saying, if if it was you had to hire him to get Nico, if that meant you lose out on Nico, you had to do that. Like for me, it's just that's non negotiable. I I thought 
on top. Okay, we know that he wasn't the greatest guy with on court, but with off the court, he's just as unimpressive, whether we're talking about the relationships he's had with previous front offices and players and coaching staffs to obviously being um, uh, as as he pled guilty to his situation with his uh, ex-wife. So it's just it's it, like you said, it's a bad look all around. Um, things are going to go on. They're going to you know, there's we can only say so much. It's not like they're going to reverse the hire at this point. But I was I was shocked considering the circumstance that they hired a guy like this. My last thing on this just kind of backtracking to on the court. And maybe you have a better viewpoint on this than me. But if I'm not mistaken, when Jason Kidd left the Mavericks in, was it 2000? It was it the 2012 offseason after they won the championship in 2011. Yes. Uh, so when he left, him and Mark Cuban weren't on the best of terms to the point to where like Mark Cuban was saying that, you know, he they weren't even going to retire kids jersey. So did I miss something? When did the when did the makeup happen? Like when did they become cool again? And then all of a sudden he's hired. Was, was there a moment in between there? Because maybe you 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 would have a better pulse on that than me. Yeah, uh, you're right. It was Mark Cuban said that, and it's very funny. It was a very public grudge. It was a bad look because Kid agreed to the contract in 2012 and then was just like, all right, see ya. Um, But yeah, you're right. There was, I think there was a report sometime in like 2013, 2014. Someone asked him about it and like, hey, how do you... uh, How do you feel about Jason Kidd now? And I think he was kind of like, yeah, we... We made up, we, uh, you know, we got, we're getting along now. And so I think there, I don't know when it happened, but I think sometime in the last like six to seven years, the, they somehow buried the hatchet in in some way. Um, like I'm, I'm kind of researching on the fly, but I'm seeing like an ESPN article from 2014 that says Mark Cuban has a great relationship with Jason Kidd. Now we email back and forth. Uh, there was obviously a falling out, but you know they kind of patched things up. So some something happened. You know they they maybe they got they got together and, and buried the hatchet and didn't want to hold a grudge. Uh, sounds like Cuban just said he needed some time to process what Kid did in terms of leaving the organization in that bad way. But yeah, because I was kind of thinking the same thing when when Kid's name first got rumored popping up. I was like, man, wait, don't these guys like? kind of still have a grudge kind of hate each other uh but apparently that uh that got patched up somewhat you know in the last handful of years hmm yeah interesting um yeah don't want to keep you too much longer L- my last thing and um we definitely appreciate you coming on again everyone this is josh bow Maz uh moneyball great guy ton of great information um Last thing that I have here is just talking about Luca and Porzingis's relationship and how that's been, you know, it's been documented that they don't really have the greatest of relationship. And Mark Cuban has come out and, and mentioned that it's kind of like the early days with uh, Shaq and Kobe. Um, you, you know, KP has made some slick comments in post, uh, post-game press conferences about how he hasn't gotten the ball in fourth quarters and things of that nature. And it's even come out um, that, you know, People have said that Luca's difficult to play with. And I think that there's so many superstars that have kind of gotten that rap at some point or another when things kind of go bad. What are your thoughts on that, on their relationship, how they can continue to move forward? And if you even believe any of this 
obviously it's documented that they don't really have they're not really friends but in terms of Luca being difficult to play with what's your viewpoint there um man i i, I think there's obvious i think the there's probably the, the reports about them not being you know buddy buddy i think is think is accurate um and i i can understand why Kristaps went from being the guy in new york city and now he's second fiddle in dallas that's just a gigantic shift in role and also his perception throughout the league like being the man in new york is so much different than being the co-star in dallas so i'm imagine that wasn't easy um in terms of luca being difficult to play with i think that's just kind of bunk i mean I'm sure it's not easy if you're a guy that likes to have the ball in your hands a lot. And I'm sure there's stuff Luca has to work on in terms of being better off the ball and being more productive when he does give the ball up. But I mean, you're talking about a guy that seemingly loves passing guys open and getting guys, you know, good looks just as much as he loves uh, making a clutch shot. So I'm not too concerned about that. I think that will kind of sort itself out as the Mavericks roster just gets more talented. Uh, and then you'll start to see that that will, I think that narrative will look a little foolish. But in terms of Tristop's and Luca's relationship, I, I mean, winning kind of cures all, right? Like, I don't think they have to be best friends for them to make things to get these, this thing on the right track. Like, if they can improve the roster and if that happens without having to trade Kristaps uh, in the offseason and they start winning more, like that stuff is going to be old news and we're not really going to discuss it because they're going to be winning. And, and when you're winning, those questions kind of go away. So even if they never develop a super close relationship, so long as it doesn't impact what they're doing on the floor, and I don't think that's happened yet. I know that people are wondering if that impacted how they, um, how Kristaps played in the playoffs where he didn't get a bunch of touches and shots, but that clearly to me was like scheme and not like Luca freezing him out. That was just what the Mavericks wanted him to do. And even Luca, I think after the season said like, Hey, we need to get Przingis more involved. And I believe that. So I, I, I think it's possible that the Mavericks can win a championship with those two and they still not really particularly care for one another, but that's okay. Cause they're both talented enough to, to figure it out. Well, at least we hope so with Kristaps at least. That I don't think it's a huge deal, but also, I mean, it's it's still worth monitoring. And if it gets to a point where Kristaps is not holding up his end of the bargain and there's still kind of some iciness there, whether it's because Luca's pissed off that the KP isn't carrying his weight, like then, you know, you need to start looking into making some moves that even might not necessarily benefit you on the court. Like I know trading Kristaps, you're probably not going to get a big a pretty package for him right now but if it makes things better behind the scenes if it gets to that point you kind of have to do it but i don't know if it'll if it'll get to that point yeah um i i, I couldn't agree more and and ultimately I, I think for porzingis he just has to i think this season is all about improvement i think it's i think it's very important for him to spend a lot of this offseason developing as a player because like i said i think some of his I think some of his progress has been impeded by the fact that he's been rehabbing so much so often that it's hard to develop as a player when you're always trying to get healthy. And I think that's going to be very important for him because they were the they were the most efficient uh, pick and roll duo in the NBA. 
and they can continue to build on that. If they can com- continue to build around those two guys, he continues to get more healthy and get more agile because obviously he's lost some lateral quickness and lateral ability with some of these lower extremity injuries. Um, I think it's going to be important for him to just get better and uh, and, and be a, a, a better part of what they're doing instead of because from afar, it seemed like Carlisle was trying to put him where he best fit based on what he was able to give physically at the time. And maybe Porzingis felt like he could do more, but obviously Rick Carlisle seeing him every day, maybe he felt a different way. So we'll also see if, if Jason Kidd can do anything um, to get him going, because I think you do have to run different sets for him, feature him a little more um, than what they have been doing. I think that's just the obvious for a guy who's a max player and is supposed to be your second star. You can't have him out there playing a complimentary type role and having Luca do everything. That's just going to burn him out. I think you have to, if nothing else, force Porzingis to to be more involved, whether he likes it or not. And it's, and then at that point, you can say, hey, we're trying to get you involved, but we're not getting any results. And then you have an entirely different conversation from there. So, so I'm 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 optimistic about what they can do. And it seems like you are too. And I always call you my voice of reason on Twitter. You don't know that, but in my head, that's what I say because Mav's Twitter is so hot and cold. <laughs> that when I read your tweets, you're really pretty much thinking how I'm thinking. It's never as great as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. There's always some middle ground with the Mavericks, but you know, Mavs Twitter, they love they love the Mavericks, and so they bleed <laughs> they bleed out their emotions when any little thing happens, and it's always like, oh well, you know. There's a speck of sunlight somewhere in there. We just have to find it. And when I read your tweets, it's usually you're usually right on track with me. So, um, so yeah, I don't want to hold you any longer. I know you have plenty of other things to do today. But again, thank you so much for coming on the Mavs <clears throat> Hoopball Mavs um, podcast with us to discuss all things Mavs. It's been a while, and uh, I'm glad that we were able to get you on here today. Oh, thank you so much. I always appreciate the kind words. Uh, love, love talking with you. We always have good discussions. I feel like love interacting with you on Twitter during games or when, what have you. So I, I appreciate all the kind words and, and, and keep up the good work. Uh, love what you're doing and, and thanks for having me on again. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again, everyone. This is, um, Josh Bo, editor, writer over at Mavs Moneyball. Um, let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, yeah. Mavsmoneyball.com. That's where you will see all of my written work for the site. Um, you will, Kate, you will see me also doing podcasts. We just, whatever, uh, podcast app you have, just search Mavs Moneyball and, and you'll see it. It's like Matt, Matt, you know, SB nation Mavs Moneyball for, for Matt, for Dallas Mavericks fans. Can't remember what the official title is, but you'll see the Mavs Moneyball podcast feed where it is usually me and Kirk, uh, going back and forth, whether it's after games, after big, important news, uh, just kind of talking whenever. So you can check out our podcast there, and, and that's where I am for podcasts. And then uh, on Twitter, uh, if, you, if you feel like it, at uh, Bowman55 uh, is where you can find me over there. Nice. And you can find us at HoopBallMavs. Also, you can find me on Twitter at LBSaidit. That's L-B-S-A-I-D-I-T. Again, thank you, Josh, for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back soon with I'm sure more Mavs content because the off season is never really the off season for us. There's always something. So um, we're looking forward to it. Um, Josh, we hope to have you back on again at some point because I'm sure, again, we'll have more to discuss as we get further along. And it's always a blast talking with you, man. Yeah, thanks, you. M- much appreciated. 
Absolutely. Okay, you guys take it easy. Um, enjoy the rest of these playoffs, but we're ready to see the Mavs again. So we'll see how they look going into this offseason. Everyone have a safe one. Good, good day. Go Mavs.